You're listening to WDW Tales, a glimpse of the Central Florida theme parks from a cast member's perspective. WDW Tales, behind the name tag. And now your host, Justin Stone. Hi everybody, welcome back to WDW Tales. I'm your host, Justin Stone. Now if you know anything about me, or if you've been a listener for a while, you know that music is pretty much uh, anything that I, I will put above anything else, family aside. Um, but, you know, it comes down to, like, breathing, eating, music, sleep. Like, I, 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 I've been a musician for such a long time. I appreciate music so much more than photography or video I I absolutely it's it's in my blood it's something that um it's it's just who I am and everybody in in my circles knows it um I I just love I love performing it I love listening to it I love analyzing it and when you can take your love of music and your love of theme parks and be able to connect them it's really such an incredible feeling to, to be younger when I was younger and, and to be standing out front of the uh, attractions that I worked or inside the attractions that I worked and to listen to the music and to appreciate the music. Um, not every attraction had great music, but but so many of them did. And, and to appreciate that and to think way, way back then to be like, I don't know who wrote this. I don't know where it came from. I'm never going to hear this again. Um Thank you for the like the internet and all of that where we we're able to track down the music and people can share files of the recorded music and even better, have the opportunity to speak with and interact with the people who created this music. It's an incredibly wonderful opportunity to be able to do that and, and such a great opportunity today for me to speak with an absolute hero of mine, uh, Mr. George Wilkins. You may know George Wilkins from many, many, many things. Horizon's a really big one that he's known for. World of Motion, Sunny Eclipse, Imagination. Uh, so many iconic Disney experiences have been either molded or supported or complemented through the music that George has created. But George only started with Disney in 1979. So you know George Mother's stuff from Disney, but he has been a musician for years upon years upon years, working in some of the most iconic scoring stages in, in Hollywood, working with artists who are beyond this atmosphere. George had such a a a, a, a tenured uh, musical journey i guess you could say even way before disney and so to be able to speak with him musician to musician disney fan to musician uh and he's a disney fan he'll live here um it, it it it's just it's a very fulfilling experience for me and i am so happy that he agreed to come on the program and talk to me about all the things that he has done pre-Disney, during Disney, post-Disney, some really great stories about how some of the music was created. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about The Great Movie Ride because it wouldn't be a WDW Tales podcast without a 
great movie ride connection in some capacity. So I'm really happy to share with you this recent conversation that I had with George from his home in California. I thank you for the time. This is a really a, a an honor for me to speak with you. I really appreciate oh. it. <laughs> Fine, thank you. I got to say, I mean, <clears throat> not just being a, a guest in the park or even working in the park, but as a musician, uh, it, it's always amazing to be able to speak to other musicians who were able to make such really, really iconic music that so many people enjoy but um i always just that was always my most favorite thing of working at the parks was being able to listen or perform uh the parks music so um really really a big honor thank you very much for for joining so what, me are, are you a are you a keyboard player or what no i'm actually not a musician i'm a drummer oh and <laughs> so uh you know we uh we we're we only count to three and that's yeah, right. Kickoff kick bands. No, I um, yeah. So I've I've been a drummer since I was about four. So about forty years now. Oh, and, that's great, great. And uh, but I've always tried to annoy uh, the rest of the rhythm section. So bass, a little piano, nothing. I'm not a melody guy. I don't write melodies. Yeah, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a I'm a half-assed piano player. And, well, that's uh, you know what I I started off as a singer. Oh, did you? Yeah, and uh, I was, you know, I did a lot of conducting and prior to ever, get, uh, you know, I had a whole life before I ever got to Disney. Uh, so I, well, that, I didn't start Disney until 79, and I, so I would have, was 55 or 56, and I don't know. That's I'm 88 actually, now, so. Oh my goodness. That's a count backwards. So that's actually a lot of what I wanted to talk about. It was uh, <clears throat> not just about the Disney music, but I am. If if you threw me on an island and said, "This is it, fresh water, fresh food for the rest of your life," but you have to pick your music. The two music, the two kind of genres I'm taking are film soundtracks and basically anything from 1930 to 1952. Uh, I'm wow. <laughs> I'm talking the you know the Glenn Millers, the Mel Torme's. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I I grew up playing a lot of that as a kid. That those well, were the first I, charts I, I learned was, to play. I was so fortunate. We used to have a cottage on Lake Erie mm -hmm. in Canada, and we had a dance hall there, and all the big bands came through that dance hall every every summer. So I used to go hang on the, you know. Hang on the bandstand railing and listen to these guys. You know, so I saw I saw Herman and Kenton and you know name them. Mm -hmm. uh, back when I was a teenager, so that's the that's the dream. I, it the was yeah, it was fabulous. Yeah, the closest I got to that was seeing Frank Sinatra Jr. in Orlando, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Still a good I used show. To own a group, I used to own a group called the Doodletown Pipers. Of course. And we were at the, and we used to head, head in the lounge at uh, the New Frontier. And that's where Junior was. Uh -huh. So we'd follow him in or follow him out. You know, he was a strange little guy, but. 
Yeah, you know, I was just speaking to somebody. We'll get back on topic in a minute, but I was just speaking to somebody who interviewed the guy who kidnapped him in 1963. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember when he got kidnapped. I didn't know they ever caught the guy. Yeah, but. they did. Unfortunately, just passed away, I don't know, if, uh, maybe a month ago. Um, this wow. Is recent. But anyways, oh. I was going to say a lot of a lot of drummers who, when I was younger wanted to emulate uh, Buddy Rich. He was the guy. I was always a huge Louis Belson fan. Lionel Hampton, oh, Louis yeah, Belson. There you go, man. He swung. I mean, Louis was great. He was showing up with two bass drums and just yeah. laying it, laying it down. Yep. He and Jack. Uh, oh God, what was Jack's last name? He used two kick drums too. Jack, oh nuts! I can't think of his name. He was another. Was he a big band drummer? Yeah. Huh. Very, very busy here in L.A. When I, I got here in 65 and conducted a show at the Greek Theater, and he was the drummer on that. And uh, I was working with Mancini, uh -huh. and, uh, and I was doing the Young Americans half of the concert, conducting it. And nobody had told the orchestra that they had a, another rehearsal after Hank's. <laughs> <laughs> and they all had recording sessions and stuff they had to get to. So I ended up with Jack, the drummer, uh, harpist, I think a woodwind player, and Pete Condoli, the trumpet player. Yeah, uh -huh. That was my, that's who I had to go over the rehearsal with. <laughs> and we just talked through it. And then uh, that night, uh, Jack Sperling. Mm, okay. Okay. Does that ring a bell with you? I can't say it does. It probably, I mean, I've been playing Look him up. so long. Look him up. I will. Sperling. Yeah, Jack Sperling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I think he and Louie were good buddies also. But, uh, yeah, so we got the whole band there, and Pete Condoli just, like, took over, man. You know, he, <laughs> he was just wonderful, man. Went to the whole, you know, because I had a 40 piece orchestra or something like that, mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, that's that story. Well, I got to say, I don't think I have ever felt fear except for the, walking down the aisle or the day my first son was born was like the day I had to walk in as a studio, as a session person, and read a chart for the first time, <laughs> especially a vocal chart because, per, you know, rhythm sections. It's bass, piano, drums, and maybe you get lucky and you get a rhythm guitar, and you're, you know, the you're just a side man, and and the lead guy's like, all right, one, two, three, and just you better hope Off to God, yeah. <laughs> you better hope to God you get it right. Yeah. And so, uh, anyways, I, uh, I kind of tripped and fell out of music, music, and went into advertising, uh, but I, I still play pretty regularly, but. I, uh, so many things I want to talk about, and I, I want to be respectful of your time, George, especially as, okay. as you're relaxing. But um, a lot of things you've already brought up I, I want to bring up again, but I would love to hear – I think you're from Detroit, right? Yeah. So you're fellow Midwestern. I'm from Chicago, north side of Chicago. Okay. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> somehow all the people who love the Midwest who are in the arts seem to find their way out of Chicago or the Midwest. 
Uh, say- yeah, we used to we used to do a lot of club dates in Chicago. When I had I used to, I used to have the vocal group with Patty Page. Mm-hmm. I had a group called the Page Five. I was two girls and three guys, and we were singers. And we used to do a radio show in Detroit called Our Place. And, uh, or no, well, what am I saying? Um, oh, God. I'm sorry. I just went blank. That's okay. Five nights a week. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, it was, and we had an orchestra and two solo singers and us and Bud Guest. It was called the Guest House Show. Mm. On WJR in Detroit. Oh, sure. WJR, of course. Yeah. And so from there, we went to New York and played club dates and ended up getting signed by Patty Page to do her television series. And we ended up doing, I don't know, like a hundred, some hundred shows with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I became, through her, I we took over the Como show. Mm-hmm. And I became the call director of the Como show wow. and started, that's when I started first orchestrating, uh, worked with Tony Bennett and worked with Julius Rosa were the other two stars on that. Wow. That's some heavy hitters. Yeah. They were. <laughs> so, and, you... uh, then I stayed in New York. Uh, I got drafted in. I'm giving you my history. I don't that's know okay. if you want to talk about this. No, I was just curious really quickly. So the page five, was that kind of like a modern airs Tex Beneke? Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Choreography and everything. Mm-hmm. We had to dance. And it was the Skylarks. Uh, there were lots of groups like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Back in those days. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry to interrupt. You were you were drafted. I'm assuming I was drafted just... in '56. Uh, okay. Went into the U.S. Army Band in Washington D.C. and chorus. And I was I was really brought in as an arranger, mm. but I because I was a half-assed singer, <laughs> I used to sing too in the chorus. But I was a group singer. All these guys were opera stars, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, some very big names when I was in. And I, I lucked out. I was the 38th guy in there. That was the last guy they brought in. So I lucked out, went back to New York after I got out and got into the jingle business and moved to California in 64 and formed the Doodletown Pipers. Mm. And did a lot of television and et cetera, et cetera. I know the Doodle Down Piper as well for a few reasons. Um, a, what a name. But then secondly, <laughs> uh, my mom used to have an 8-track of it. It was the Love Songs, I think, of 68. Was that one? Yeah. And uh, Up, Up, and Away, still to this day, is one of my favorite songs. And... Uh, I don't know why. There's just something. It just has a charm to it. And uh, yeah, you didn't write that, right? It was a cover. Like I, I think. Yeah, that was uh, no. That was written by uh, Jimmy Webb. Jim actually. Webb. That's right. Oh, yeah. fa- very famous writer. Yeah. But then I guess the kids of the kingdom, and and Disneyland covered that song as well. And I found a recording of it, and I forgot well, all it was about a, the song. A major. It was a major hit. Was it? 
Oh yeah, uh, who's the group that did it? Um, hey, honey, who did up, up and away? What was the group? Fifth Dimension. Oh, yeah. Fifth Dimension. Yeah. Okay. That's that's who had the hit on it. And then everybody did it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming the Fifth Dimension, I'm sure they use session people in LA. I don't think they played their own instruments, did they? No, no, no. They were just singers. Yeah, that's what I thought. They were great. Yeah. Great group. And uh Marilyn Koo and uh Billy, her husband. Mm-hmm. Kind of moved out of that group, and one of my guys from the Doodle Town Pipers went in and took one of their places. His name was Mick, Mick Bell, Michelle Bell, who did Old Man River on Broadway. Wow! Eventually. And Showboat, what a great show! Yeah. So Doodle Town Pipers. So you you were with Jerry Weintraub, Richard Bellis. Like that's that was the gang, huh? Well, I, yeah, uh, Jerry Weintraub and Bernie Brillstein were our partners okay. in that group. And I knew them from New Jersey because I, I used to be with William Morris when I had the, the hmm. page five. And Bernie was our agent at William Morris. And then um, I moved out to California and, we, and Ward Ellis and I put hmm. The Ward Ellis had the Young Americans, yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. And when I was conducting the Young Americans show, uh, he came to me and he said, Would you be interested in forming another group that would play Vegas? Because these guys won't play, you know, they won't play nightclubs or the goody goody. Mm-hmm. So we that's when we put the pipers together. And then I happened to run into Jerry one day and he said, What are you doing? I told him, and he said, Well, let's come over and see it. And so they ended up wanting to manage us. And we said, well, <laughs> we'd rather pay you as partners. So they became our partners and they were fabulous. We did a lot. You know, we ended up doing a show called uh, Our Place uh-huh. on CBS and we took over the Smothers Brothers well, for the tough, summer. Tough act to follow. Well, it was a summer replacement show. Okay. And I, I became the musical director, which was my first time being a musical director on network television. And, uh, That's a trial by fire. If it, if yeah. It was, it was very, live, very, right? Everything was live? Well, I, you... I came in, you know, which I had to orca- I'd do all the vocal arranging, and then I had to orchestrate. And I got a couple other orchestrators to come in and help me. <clears throat> Bellis, I, actually, my copyist got Bellis out of the army. <laughs> to come and do it. <laughs> I came down with uh, strep throat in the middle of all of this, and I was out of commission for about a, a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people jumped in and helped. <clears throat> yeah, I guess you don't hear a lot of that in L.A. these days. I guess back then everybody knew everybody and, and just wanted to. Yeah, be part of it. I I ended up calling Pat Williams and saying, because I knew Pat when he was in New York as a jingle writer, and I called Pat and he put me on to a couple of guys that were great, Mm -hmm. Jack Cortner being one of them, and uh, 
another guy who was a mystery man. He would, he'd call me and I'd say, I got a, I got something ready. And he'd come over and, I mean, he'd call me like a half an hour later. And he said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'd go, what? Wait. <clears throat> it wasn't. Fastest orchestra I've ever worked with. These guys weren't in Timpan Alley, were they? Were they? No. they grew no. up? No. <laughs> Fastest guy I ever worked with was Erwin Costell, oh. who did who did West Side Story. But. Terrific, terrific. Uh, yes, of course, West Side Story is iconic. Me being a little kid at the time, did the orchestrations or the composing for Pete's Dragon, which so underrated. But I'm a huge Erwin Costell fan. For oh, Erwin was Erwin was a dear friend of mine. I, I, we used him, I used to do, write and produce the uh, Firestone Christmas albums every year. Mm-hmm. And we used Julie Andrews one year and she insisted that Irwin be wow. the musical director because she had just done a movie with him. I can't think of the movie. And uh, so anyway, so Irwin came on board and I ended up staying at his house and uh, playing a million rounds of golf, and he ended up moving to California. And he and then he used me. I I uh, ended up doing Brigadoon with him. Wow! Uh, for CBS. That's um, amazing. I have many very very close friends who we all actually. This is later on, but we met at the Great Movie Ride working there years. Big, uh-huh. big theater people, huge theater people. In fact, one is, uh, one she performs all the time. But Brigadoon is one of those shows that we all center around, and just <laughs> what an incredible yeah. show! Yeah, yep, that's amazing. So, uh, kind of going through the timeline. So you had, uh, you're in L.A. now. You're working for cbs uh i don't know if you're a staff writer or if you're a contractor no 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 i no i i worked for Irwin. okay i orchestrated and did all the vocal arranging on brigadoon for Mm -hmm. him so where did that take you next i'm not sure i mean uh i was very busy writing arrangements for people and i did the tony orlando's Dawn show, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was, you know, kind of a freelance arranger, mm-hmm. and I had the Pipers, which were very busy, mm-hmm. and uh, then all of a sudden I got a call from Buddy Baker, and um, through he somebody had recommended me to him, and I came in and wrote. Uh, uh, listen to the land for him. I put mm-hmm. did a recording session, mm-hmm. um, and then the next thing I know, he called me and said, "You know, would you like to work here?" <laughs> so he, what happened was that he got into an accident, and Bill Miller went over to the hospital to see him and said, "Buddy, you know, if you'd gotten killed, <laughs> is there anybody else that knows what you know?" And he said, "No." He said, well, get someone. So I was it. Wow. Well, I I didn't do a lot of writing with Buddy. Buddy handed things off to me. And um, 
believe it or not, my assistant <laughs> was John Debney. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> huh? Uh, another heavyweight. You were just oh, socking yeah. him in, <laughs> George. <laughs> no, John was, John scared me to death, man. He was amazing. Uh-huh. But he was just a young kid, and Buddy didn't really care for him because John had come, John's dad was a very good buddy of, of Walt's. Mm. And and John had been hanging around that studio all his life as a kid. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like they finally just get, like gave him an office right down the <laughs> hall. And uh, and Buddy would never give him any work. You know, I mean, I don't know what John did until I started using him. Interesting. And, uh, but yeah. I used him for a lot of orchestration, you know. And, it's interesting uh, that you say that. Um, so later on in life, I actually had the uh, great pleasure of being a, a recording studio engineer at Universal Studios in Orlando. And uh-huh. within that, I had to cut, you know, I, most of the music was, was either licensed through BMI or ASCAP. It was a lot of, you know, sourced from already produced music versus cutting that new but when i had to do specific shows that were a little bit kind of had a heavier faster frenzy to it a little frenetic pace to it i always pulled the john jebney drawer chicken run (laughs) all of that stuff because it was he had a sound he had you could i always knew when john debney was involved when he was composing you know not not arranging orchestrating um so much though that the show director I'd work with, he'd come in with the concept and he's like, you know, just, just put a little Debney behind it. You, you know what you're doing. Just put some Debney Because <laughs> I, the way I had used his music so frequently in that construct. John um, just wrote me the nicest note. I had, uh, con- you know, I congratulated him on this uh, Abrahamic orchestra that he's putting together. Mm-hmm. And he's so busy, man. It's just blows my mind that's what i said and he wrote me this beautiful note back just saying how much he appreciated me and buddy you know being you know kind of like his first teachers you know oh that's really nice yeah and i'm saving it (laughs) that's terrific it's it's good to hear the you know the, the lineage of of you know, Disney music passed on, but then also kind of the, the relationships keep. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. It's, uh, well, buddy, you know, buddy hired me uh-huh. to come in. And the first thing I did, I had to go to all the parks and listen to all the music and make sure all the music was playing in the right spots and blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, you go to small world and all the, all the, Speakers were turned off because the, the the people running the ride would go find out where <laughs> the amplifiers <laughs> were and turn them off. Uh-huh. And uh, so th- that's what I did maybe for the first half year I was there. And then he did Fox and the Hounds. Uh-huh. And he went to Europe to do that. And he also did another one. He did... Uh, he did... Uh, France... For Epcot, I can't remember. I think he... Who, buddy? Anyway, he went to Europe for a long time. And they threw out the score to Fox and Hounds, and they sent him back to do another one. 
Well, by the time he got back, I was, you know, up to my eyeballs with different projects, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, so he always kind of resented that, that uh, because Randy Bright mm-hmm. really liked me a lot because I was younger and more hip than Buddy, you know, and I was, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that's how how I did Horizons, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a kind of like what well, you do it, and I, and I did, you know, I did what Imagination and mm-hmm. Kodak and all the stuff with the Sherman Brothers. Yeah, I I gotta say, and I I don't want to jump too far ahead because there are everything you're talking about is just. There's uh, there, this could spin off 19 different ways. <laughs> um, yeah. What I was going to mention really quickly, um, I'm going to try not to make this about me because most of my listeners are tired of listening to me. So I want to give you more mic time, but I was going to say b- before I ever had a chance to do anything music related for the parks, uh, I was your everyday clock in clock out cast member. And I would, would work the attractions and, I remembered at Universal when I was tasked to redo the music for what's called New York Street. There's kind of, it's a back lot and there are three sections. There's a metropolitan New York in the 1920s and then a turn of the century. And all I thought about when I was putting the music together was I don't want the people who have to work outside to get tired of this music. (laughs) So I didn't do anything current. I did like Jack Jones. I did West Side Story. I think I did, um, you know, I, but I did those, those songs that are so, you know, synonymous with a big metropolitan area, right. but aren't right. so much that they have a shelf life of like an hour. Cause all I thought about was, man, these greeters are going to get so tired of this music and I've been there and I've got to, and so it was nice though, to be able to go out at 1230, one o'clock in the morning in this big empty theme park and you get to put the music in and listen to the mix and is this right. the really right mix? And and uh, and so uh, I get it with those cast members of the of, of it's a small world going to find the speakers. But anyways, I digress. My wife is a violist with a symphony here, hmm. and uh, when I got, I ended up doing a small world for Hong Kong, and I had to do counter melodies for mm-hmm. Hong Kong. Sure, I'm, a whole other story. But uh, she wanted hazard pay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it gets a bad rap, but <laughs> I'd like to have their ask up. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's all about publishing, right? Yeah. Forget about performance. That's where I went wrong. Just being yeah. a performer, not a writer. That's where the royalties are. But anyways, let's, if we could, um, oh, I was going to, sorry. The other thing I was going to mention is, so I, my, one of my first jobs in like attractions when I was, I don't know, 17 years old was at Journey to Imagination. And I remember sitting, one of the positions was greeter. You know, you'd stand outside, you'd answer questions, you'd direct people to the bathroom or, or whatever. And, right. you know, the, the, obviously you know the pavilion music and the atmosphere music. And I'd listen to it and I'd go, this is just, it's so fitting for where it is. And, and I really appreciate it as many people did. And thinking to myself, wow, like, I don't know, this was, 
the early 90s. So I'm like, I don't know who wrote this. I'll never know who wrote this. I'll, <laughs> I'll never get to meet him. And all of a sudden, the internet shows up, and the world became a lot smaller. And and uh, so you're, you know, you're talking about these these tracks from Imagination Horizons, and I just. I don't get starstruck, but I, I really am enjoying this conversation because you've indirectly and directly, you know, are part of the memories that I had when I worked there based, based on uh, the music. And so oh, that's nice. it's yeah. really a, it's really a pleasure. Um, I but, was just, you know, I was uh, in, in Florida for retro mm-hmm. magic 50. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, you know, a uh, guy by the name of uh, can't think of his name. And Tammy, you know, Tammy's oh, the Tam- one that got me in on this. Yeah, and, Tammy, Tammy Tucky, sure. Yeah, yeah, I know her. And uh, how Howard? Uh, oh, how Bowers? Oh, yeah. How, we all, how we all run in those circles. Yeah. Yeah, nice guy, man. Uh-huh. And he interviewed me. And uh, so we, we we finished, and there were five other guys there from Disney. I don't know, and I didn't know any of them. They were all more, they were the executive types, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, anyway, I I finished, and they asked me to sign a couple, uh, uh, a couple of billboards that had all the names of the people on it. And so I sat down at a table and did that. And when I looked up. There was a line <laughs> from that table <laughs> to the end of the room and then around. There had to be like 200 people in this line waiting to get my autograph. And, and my wife and I and my daughter were just like, what is this? Yeah. Man? Well, just I mean, unbelievable. That's what music does, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's the unwritten emotion. Yeah. Well, I know that. You know, I, I did a, my own concert and for my 50th birthday. And uh, that's the night I discovered that if I can move me, I can move you. (laughs) And uh, I was signed that night by an agency to write Broadway. Mm -hmm. And uh, never happened. Uh, The guy that signed me left the agency about two months later. But... um, that's where I was then, you know, mm-hmm. writing musicals. And I still have that to me. You know, that's what I love. And uh, so where wherever mm-hmm. that carried me at Disney, mm-hmm. you know, I had other skills and the fact that I could orchestrate and that I was a good vocal arranger and I could put singers together and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. But when I took on, like, uh, like let's say uh, an imagination pavilion. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote because because Dick just handed me this tape with you know uh, with the song on it. Right, that was it. It's what they gave me, and I did a lot of counter melodies to that, and uh, even the organ part. I wrote you know my you know I wrote that in a in a mm-hmm. minor. Uh, thinking that anyway, I did a lot, and uh, and I just don't think anybody was used to that. 
because I cover, I was able to cover a lot of bases with counter melody mm-hmm. to the song, and uh, which I also did in Horizons. I used yeah. uh, a whole counter melody to it's a great big world. Uh-huh. It's a great big wonderful whatever that song is. I great love big. counter melodies in that everybody hears something different, but they think that's the primary melody. Well, I yeah, I wrote uh, uh, the whole French thing, mm-hmm. which was a waltz. Mm-hmm. I wrote against "It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow" or whatever mm-hmm. that. Was. What's that song? "Great Big Beautiful." Yeah, tomorrow. that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. That, that was my distinction, I think. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if we could stick on Horizons for a second, which uh, it was, I mean, that's an iconic attraction. It, another one that was kind of, well, was what's just good before its time, I think. Um, the the atmosphere music on the outside, do, where you entered the, the attraction. Did you write that as well, or you just did you just do show scene music? Well, uh, I'm not sure. I, if you're talking area music, yeah, that was outside the pavilion. That was based on my theme done by John Debney. Mm, okay, which is a wonderful hunk of music. It is. What I was going to ask about it, and maybe me being a musical snob. Excuse me. Is uh, the I always thought to myself, the show, the the attraction's kind of about tomorrow, tomorrow, technology, tomorrow, but the area music was so um, it it was just so traditional instrument heavy, lots of woodwinds, lots of strings, where. I, I had always heard it kind of like the, you may have even written this, when they go into the apartment of the future and the guy's playing the fake Slinklevere or whatever. Yeah, I wrote all, everything inside and, that pavilion I wrote. Yeah. So I, I was curious why the area music wasn't more, didn't have more of that, you know. Well, it was, that's probably, although I used John on uh, <clears throat> couple of other things prior to that mm-hmm. but I really just got him in and I said John I need uh, an hour of this stuff for the area to surround the pavilion mm-hmm. would you like to do it and he said yeah I'll do it and uh, so I just handed you know he just used my theme here and there and then went off on his own stuff and uh and walked into my office. I thought that was going to take, that would have taken me to write an hour's worth of that would have taken me a good three weeks, you know, mm-hmm. and really I would probably a month before I could get it recorded. But um, <laughs> it was like he walked in the next morning and said, well, I'm done, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what else he got? Yeah. <laughs> What's next? I mean, he, he, uh-huh. he was scary good. Yeah, well, I was going to mention the just going back to the Imagination Pavilion music for a second. So my junior college, maybe I learned the xylophone melody from that segment 
the marimba and the xylophone counter melodies. I just played it by ear and would go in the band room oh, and practice you, it. You played play, uh, xylophone? Yeah, I was. Obviously, you do. Yeah, I was so. Um, I mean, marimba really is the instrument I love. Marimba yeah. drum set, but um, I remember I was working there, and so I took a mini disc recorder like the first mini disc recorders that were ever there you know like handheld and i recorded i put it next to a speaker while i worked so i had the source music and then i went back and tried to write it out and decided just to figure it out by ear versus writing it but yeah you know that pavilion was was a uh, i had first of all i had to learn how to say animatronics which is you know <clears throat> and then where I had been writing at 32 frames a second, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm writing at 80 feet per minute, or, yeah. you know, whatever the hell uh -huh. <laughs> that was. And I also had to match my exit music to my entrance music mm -hmm. because it was in the same, uh, when you were going in, you could hear the exit. Mm -hmm. So I had to somehow... So again, that's where counter melody just came in. Yeah, well, it was a job incredibly well done because it is. I mean, it's still. I don't did. I'm sure people told you that it still plays in well the, the bathroom did, <laughs> during I, imagination. I did the I did the first one, and then instead they did a second one. Mm -hmm. and then I got a, a, a rush call to do the third one, which I did with John Dennis. Uh huh. Uh, and that was it. So if I could ask a little bit about the process, you, you, is it something like you get a, you know, do you get a brief? Does, do you get a call from a show director saying we're putting this together or revising this thing and we need, you know, here's the, here's the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do you do with that? And how does that record? They actually build, they actually build the ride in miniature. Mm -hmm. You're able to walk through the ride uh, head high, so it, you know the, the what you're walking through is probably about your shoulder height, and then you know another three feet above, and you walk. And that's the ride, mm -hmm. you, and you don't you know you don't get all the everything, mm -hmm. but you do get a sense of what the ride's going to be, and. Sometimes that's important. Sometimes it isn't. What's more important, I think, um, are themes. You know, it's like I, I just found out when I did that 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 um, retro magic thing that my entry that my uh, cue music for. Listen to the land for the land pavilion was one one of the big things that people collect. I had no idea. <laughs> it's, yep, it's, a, it's um, and I'm not sure that how uh, he I I think he said it was the play the exit music, mm -hmm. but I used it as the cue line. I wrote mm -hmm. that as cue line music because it's quite long. I think it's four minutes long. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was very, you know, had nothing to do with with uh, 
the farm or <laughs> I mean, it just didn't. Sometimes things care. just stick. You know, it you know, it they, worked. Everybody, uh, it kept everybody's attention and what have you, you know. That's how it works. So if we could kind of go through the process. So you, you wrote the cue. I'm sure you then go and either p perform it or have some kind of, yeah. Well, I, that I did in my studio. That's all me. Okay. Uh -huh. So things like the bigger orchestrations, do you, I know, so a yeah. good friend of mine from high school, her, her dad was a producer for Disney a long time. His name was Steve Scaria. And, and, they would talk, she would tell me about stories how they would go and use the London Symphony Orchestra to record. Yeah, a well, that was stuff. Buddy. Yeah. Buddy. Was it? That's did why you he use, was in Europe so long. <laughs> <laughs> did you use more LA studio yeah. musicians? Or? Okay. Yeah. I actually, my the largest orchestra I ever had uh, was 70 something. Buddy put a 90 piece orchestra together one time. And we had to record it in sections because the studio wasn't big enough. <laughs> Where was it? The Disney scoring stage, or did you use? Yeah, yeah, okay. st Studio A. Uh huh. And uh, we, you know, we we had we lucked out because we got uh, Sean Murphy in as our as the head of the audio department, mm -hmm. and Sean has won about you know four Academy Awards. <laughs> He's the best big orchestra mixer there is you know he's just wonderful i mean that's who john williams uses so, mm -hmm. all the time so but anyway uh he came in right at the same time as i did and uh we got together on a few because the, the first session i did um i think was for the transportation pavilion and i had written this Fairly large, you know, 48-piece orchestra or something like that. And I had come in the following morning to mix it. And I got there and the mixer, first of all, the, the, the studio was happy colors. You have to know that, okay? Really? <laughs> so, yeah, they were all happy colors. <laughs> and and including the, the you know, the... Oh. And so I walk in, and this guy's got a sport coat on and and a, a kind of a scarf around his neck, and you know, real Hollywood, real Hollywood. Who the audio engineer? The the guy? Yeah, the audio engineer. Oh right? boy, you wouldn't. If that were me in there, that's not what you'd see. You'd yeah. see a sweatshirt. And, uh, and these were uh, these weren't pots you slide up and down. These were all the the, the console was all. You know, uh, knobs you turned. Yeah. Uh-huh. Big knobs. So I got there thinking, you know, I'm going to start the mix and how, how I was going to do it and everything. And I walk in and he said, well, he says, hey, George, he said, that was a wonderful date yesterday. I really enjoyed it. And he said, in fact, I got up early this morning and here it is. <laughs> Hit the go button. And he played this thing. Right. And it was, it wasn't horrible, but it was not anything that I would have done. Mm -hmm. And I listened and, and, you know, he thought he was done for the day. And I said, you know, 
do me a favor. I, I just want to hear the kick drum. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, his face went very long. And uh, he didn't like me anymore, I don't think, after that. Well, it's not we like you're doing pet sounds. When I, got, when I got there, this is a story you may not want to tell, but Buddy, the orchestra, the first orchestra I had was terrible. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've used a lot of orchestras in L.A. I knew the guys pretty well. Mm-hmm. and uh, But this was just terrible. And turns out the first trumpet player was a cab driver. Unless he was playing Buddy's Dates. And then he'd come in and be the first trumpet player. <laughs> and uh, and both Sean and I, that, that was Sean's, you know, Sean came in right after that. And, and we both agreed that we were not going to do that anymore. And that that band was gone. Mm-hmm. And so when you say... How'd my relationship with Buddy go on everything? Buddy, Buddy didn't really, I think Buddy was a little sorry he hired me at one point. Because in, in some way, and I didn't mean to, but I took over in some ways, you know. Because it just, it, it had to be. It was like nowhere. They yeah. weren't up to date. They were, mm-hmm. and the sound, uh, we, we ended up getting a whole new console, you know, got, getting a, a, a Neve console. And, oh. and uh, $600,000, I think, yeah. or something like that. Sounds about right. And got that put in, and, and that was all Sean. You know, got that going. <clears throat> so we ended up being a pretty damn good studio. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. So, so did a lot. Then I did, you know, I had to use other studios sometimes because they were things would just get too big or too crowded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard. Um, actually, I, I read that Fox really was the only big scoring stage. It was. Uh, oh, I can't think of well, his name. Max. Uh, oof, this is embarrassing. Max, uh, you mean the mixer? No, no, Max was the composer, famous, famous composer. Oh, uh, uh, Newman, no, Alfred Newman. So, thinking of Alfred, Alfred. stage, that was the only place you could do really, really big orchestral things because every other studio wasn't really. Oh, that's where doing John it. Williams worked. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I've used that, but I've used other studios, mm-hmm. I can't think of them. It's, it's been, you know, I was thinking today that what we're going to talk about is, is 45 years old to me. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, uh, I mean, I had some notes about why was this in, in the minor key when everything I've ever heard about themed entertainment is keep it in a major key so people stay happy. And I didn't want to get into that. I just wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hear hear the stories, but one, and I don't want to take up your, your time. You've you've been an amazing uh, guest, and I hope we can do this again very yeah. soon. But I got to talk a little bit about the great movie ride, and the reason I saved it for the last is uh, the, the the I'd mentioned some friends before um, where we all got together, yeah. and we are as 
we are as fine arts theater new musical nerds as there ever could be and we all kind of funneled into the great movie ride in the in the mid 90s and uh it to this day i mean i was just talking to them we talk daily the great movie ride was is such it's forgive me for sounding dramatic but it's it's in my blood because of these people as well as my sister started there in 89 and i followed her years later and and a lot of it is because of the music. I mean, it's the people, but it's the music is, I mean, you, you tapped into, you tapped into, a, 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 it's like you mainlined magic into so many people based on the, the theme of the attraction, but the way the music amplifies it. I wish I could take it. credit for all of that, but uh -huh. first of all, you have to know we used we used some of the original music. Sure, of, of course, know, yeah. Singing in the Rain, uh, and Chim Chim Cheri, I believe, was yep. what that was. Is that one of them? Yep, that's right. And what I actually had to do, and this is, and with the closing too, which was from Casablanca, mm -hmm. but I had to redo the orchestra. So I would hear the singing, and I could also hear the orchestra, you know, for singing in the rain, take an example, mm -hmm. I could hear him, you know, I had him in my earphones, mm -hmm. but I could also hear the orchestra that he was singing to through his earphones because mm -hmm. that was leaking in. And I was just like, you know, a tenth of a frame off. <laughs> uh -huh. And it was so weird, man, uh -huh. trying to sync up to what obviously... Because they didn't use clicks in those days, probably. No, no, that no, was no. Whole, that was just some drummer keeping time. Yep. And uh, so that was a little tricky. And same thing with same thing with Chim Chim Cheri. And then the Casablanca one had its own problems. I can't remember, but I had to kind of match that. And but it had to be shorter than the movie. And, uh, well, I think I think it worked for Singing in the Rain because Gene Kelly, you know, he sits back in the beat he's kind of uh and he's not like a bing crosby or, or dean martin but he yeah he sits back a little bit you know he's not yeah, on top I think, of the beat like a, i think we covered it yeah uh i'm not sure i had a click or i'm not sure i all i know is that i could hear the other orchestra which was <laughs> really weird mad. listening to my orchestra and him singing and his orchestra you know so george he was I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I, I'm, I, if you don't. don't remember, it's fine because you have an absolutely storied career, um, inside and outside of Disney clearly have done a lot, but there, so one of my favorite jobs when I worked the movie ride, I was the gangster. Like that was one of my favorite Oh, in that, favorite in jobs. that ride? Yeah. In yeah. that ride. And you would, there'd be five of us up there or four of us at a time and two would be working the shows and two would be on break and. For a lot of times, you would just sit in this hallway that was right behind where the speaker played the clarinet, the lone clarinet. Oh, the lone clarinet, yeah. And there would Jerry be times, Foster. yeah, when um, when there were no vehicles in the show scene, and all you would hear, I mean, you'd hear like cats and all the extra sound effects they'd put in, but you'd hear that clarinet. And I remember sitting on this almost like a cot, looking up at the ceiling. And just listening to that loop, and it just, it fits. 
so perfect. I couldn't well, imagine another melody to play in, well, in that area. The thing was, I had done for Universal the art of making movies. Mm -hmm. And in that, you know, that where he's um, rear window, right? Mm -hmm. Was that rear window where he's looking out across the... The, the Jimmy... Uh... Yeah, and all, the, and all this different stuff is coming out of the different windows and everything. Yeah, yeah. But for, but for the great movie ride, I used... And I got Gary Foster, who was one of the great clarinet players in L.A., and got him in. And to me, it was uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was a guy who had his window open who was not obviously feeling very down. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how that happened. And that was just another, you know, side effect sound mm -hmm. in that in that whole scene i can't remember the whole scene i remember the car rolling in and the gangsters and the gun shooting and all that and i can't remember what i wrote and uh well i can uh i don't even have to close my obviously eyes you, can't. <laughs> you did it i've lived no. it i mean my ears still ring from those those gunshots but even things like the tack piano in yeah, Western. Like, I don't know if that was your idea or if you were. If yeah, that, was, said, that was my idea that, that I had to fight for. It's genius. <clears throat> it's it's that just, they wanted banjo and stuff. No, you know? no, no, banjo. That's that's too yeah. on the nose, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, so it's like, of course, there's your your, you know, your hero piece of music that you you have to write, you know, the hooray for Hollywood's, for instance. Yeah. Or exit music, right? Things that are, are prominent all the time. But it's the it's the you know side. It's the alleys. It's the side streets of music in in a lot of those attractions. World of Motion, same way. Um, where that's at least to me, and I know to a lot of people, and not just musicians, but just a lot of people saying you know, like you know those are the things, those are the things that make the experience different than going to a, an amusement park or going to, you know, uh, maybe even like a, you know, uh, another theme park that's not as dedicated to, to that. So, yeah, no. So you had to go and fight for tack pianos, huh? <laughs> well, I, you know, not hard. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember I mixed, uh, I remember one of the first things I had to do was mix the uh, the American Adventure was that my right the you know the Lincoln and all that stuff and mm -hmm. and I mixed all of that and you know there's a million speakers and a million little yeah things and everything and I remember working on that and I, you know and I had never worked on anything like that before and uh, but I remember turning around to Midori and to Don. Lewis and saying, when is this thing good enough, man? I, mean, I kept expecting some, you know, somebody to walk in and say, uh -huh. you know, that's great. Let's wrap. And they yeah. said, well, when you say so. And I said, wow. oh, <laughs> I said, we're done. Yeah. Right. We're on project five of my 72 <laughs> projects. Yeah, we're done. 
That's amazing. So that was so. So I realized that I had a lot of juice when it came to the music part of stuff because nobody was going to argue with me, and the only person I really let argue with me at any of those times was maybe um, uh, Randy. Mm-hmm. Randy Wright and uh, one other guy that I did that I actually did that for that was for him. Did you ever have to battle, or not even battle, but I guess, uh, well, I guess have disagreements with or work alongside the the Imagineers who who are building, or is it really more much like an editor? goes in and takes all the footage of the movie and then sits with the director and... Now, the only guy I had problems with was... Uh, I, I can't, luckily, I can't remember his name. <laughs> but he just did not like... He loved... Uh, Debney, you know, Debney worked at the studio uh-huh. and didn't have a whole lot to do with uh, Epcot until later on. And, uh, and maybe through me, some of it. Um, but all of a sudden there's this one guy who just loved John and uh, would pick him over anybody to do any of his work. And um, I actually had to do something with him. And he was a pain in the ass. <laughs> the whole thing. And I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I finally caught on and knew what was going on, which was fine with me because I loved Gebney. I mean, I loved John. I thought yeah. he was... The most talented guy there. And that's where we're going to cut it today. Uh, I really hope you're enjoying this conversation I had with George Wilkins. I know I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, But in the essence of time, we're going to go ahead and cut on today's session. And there's something I wanted to clear up really quickly. I just went back and listened to the recording of my conversation with George, and I had inadvertently said John Debney composed the score to the movie Chicken Run. He, in fact, didn't. John Powell and Harry Gregson Williams did. John Debney composed Chicken Little. So I had mixed the two up, but looking at the recording, uh, or looking at the the tracks that I did use from John Debney at Universal, I actually used Cats and Dogs from 2001. So John Debney, uh, Chicken Little and Cats and Dogs, John Powell, Chicken Run. And now that we've got all that cleared up, I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in to this episode of WDW Tales. I had an absolute blast speaking with George and learning all about all the stories of, of his his lifetime creating all this great music both inside and, and outside the park i am absolutely beaming and i just i can't wait for you to listen to part two because it is just as good if not better than what you just listened to so uh, please stay tuned what a great great show once again i'm justin stone this is wdw tales if you want to find me in social media i'm at wdw tales at Twitter, WDW Tales on Instagram, and then WDWTales.com. Once again, everybody, thank you very much. Can't wait to get you on to part number two, and uh, I'll see you next time.